For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Another episode of the Stadium Journey Podcast. Proud to be part of the DOC Nation family of podcasts. Stadium Journey is more than just a great podcast, it's a lifestyle. Our website, stadiumjourney.com, contains over 2,500 stadium reviews, news items, and great features perfect for the traveling sports fan. In addition to the website, we are all over social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Like, follow us, comment, do it everywhere. Stadium Journey Podcast is the perfect companion while you're on a road trip. Just type in VOC Nation Radio Network on your podcast search app or search for us on Spotify. There we are. In addition, all of our old video podcasts are on the Stadium Journey YouTube channel. Perfect for a binge watch. If you happen to be watching this episode at a later date, the Stadium Journey Podcast streams live on twitch.tv slash fanlaw83. Tuesday night today. And now, let me take a second and introduce our starting lineup for tonight. We've got Dave Cotney here with us. You can follow him online at ProFan9. Mark Viquez can be found at Ballpark Hunter. Dan Kalachiko, the above average Canadian, is here. You can follow him at DanMaw83. And I am Paul Baker. You can follow me at PuckmanRI. And tonight, we are excited to be switching gears. I mean, we've been talking about baseball quite a bit lately. And it's not that we don't love talking about baseball, but that's not what we're all about. What we're all about here at Stadium Journey, there is room for all the sports here on the Stadium Journey podcast. And tonight, we are pleased to be joined by Pete McGinty, season ticket holder with the Columbus Crew SC. I got to get used to saying it that way, I guess, huh? And author of the book, Accidental Heroes. Pete, welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. All right. So, um... I'm going to jump into the really the only thing I know right now about the Columbus crew, and that is the rebrand that just went down. What are your thoughts about that? I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about that. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, the re- okay. I'm, that was a bad, bad attempt at a joke. Um, yeah, if you live in Columbus like I do, it's uh, it's all that is being talked about. Um, you know, my wife and I went to the uh, crew game on Saturday. We had no idea it was happening or anything. And the Nordeck section of the of the stadium, which is usually where all the supporter groups sit, was almost empty. And my wife said, "Why is that? 
you know, I mean, I, certainly there's COVID, there's distancing and everything. And, and she goes, why is that almost empty? And I said, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, it's weird. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the soccer fans, crew fans are socially conscious. Maybe they're kind of COVID fear. Who knows? Um, but then Sunday learned about the rebranding and learned about the Nordec was actually protesting the game because they had a sneak peek of it on Friday. Uh, and so when the, uh, the new, the new, Logo was introduced. The new badge was introduced on Sunday through social media, a real grainy, bad uh, image of it that somebody must have snapped on their cell phone from a sweatshirt they were showing or something. Uh, all hell broke loose. I mean, it just was – and it hasn't stopped since. I mean, if you go to social media, um, it's crazy. It's crazy. The, I'll just um, – just to summarize, the uh, there has not been a lot of support for it here among crew fans. So, no, I agree with you. I don't think there's been – I don't think I've even seen anybody say anything positive about it because you took this wonderful logo, which I would consider probably one of the best in an MLS, perfect example of how they rebranded properly a few years ago, and you come up with this really dull, boring, vapid symbol uh, to a team that prides itself as being the first team in MLS. So how much money do you think went into rebranding efforts and demographics to come up with what they came up with? I have no idea. I, I, uh, everyone's trying to figure out who did it. Yeah. And the rumor is that it was a, a, a firm in England who has a relationship with MLS. So if that is indeed true, then that maybe leads to another bit of speculation in terms of what the MLS's role in this may have been. Um, but, you know, I, I happen to work in branding and marketing and advertising and, you know, uh, rebrands like this can cost certainly hundreds of thousands of dollars. And when you talk about research and concepting and, and testing and so forth, um, I don't think there was a lot of testing with this particular mark, but, uh, there was research and, and, uh, but, but I, I have no idea what they invested in, in mm-hmm. terms of development. I will say that they're ready to go, though. I mean, down, they've got the merchandise ready. They're delivering merchandise to media. Um, there was no turning back for them. And uh, even down by the new stadium that's under construction, the, the wrapping around the fencing and everything is all now the new Columbus SC look and everything. So um, they were they were ready to go. They had everything ready. And uh, so they, they weren't they weren't planning on turning back. Yeah, it's a, so – so he, if I find it interesting that you said that it's coming from a, a firm in England. So, are, are we? To, is the crew, is the crew playing at home this weekend? No, they're playing tomorrow, aren't they? They they're not playing at home for I think three weeks. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, in, in three weeks, are are we to expect like a uh, a Manchester United situation? Like, are are the is the Nordic gonna Break into the stadium and 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 <laughs> send the flares everywhere and stop the game from happening. And I think it's um, possible. Um, first of all, I should clarify that the the, the the most I've been able to find out is that we think it came from England. We may learn it didn't, but if it didn't, no one's willing to raise their hand and say we did that. Um, but uh, I think it's more likely that the the Nordic and the and the diehard fans are going to protest. Uh, and it'll probably be outside the stadium, but not come in. And if they do come in, the TFOs probably will not have uh, 
very positive messages on them. I mean, that's uh, unfortunately, I mean, that's that's the prevalent sentiment online right now. I mean, no one's talking about what happens when they come back to Columbus, but uh, I don't think anyone's thought that far ahead. Um, but it's it's um, it's an angry mob. It's an angry mob. <laughs> they, they I, I would, ex- sorry, go ahead, Mark. So they so they did exactly what they didn't want to do: tick off their supporters and and diehard fans. You know, I mean, I, I know we're going to talk about the Save the Crew movement and how the team was saved and so forth. I mean, it'd probably be good to jump back there just for a second. Um, you know, this this group of fans. If it had not been for this group of fans, the crew would not be here. They'd be in Austin, right? And they'd be there now. And so what these fans did to create this movement and to put their blood, sweat, tears, and their own money behind the things they did, I mean, they did their own fundraising and everything, uh, was just remarkable. And the, the, the foundation of what they did was in part because – of this mantra, respect your roots. Okay. Columbus, the first MLS team in the league. Columbus, the crew stadium was the first soccer stadium, soccer only stadium in the country. Um, and so it's the roots of the club, but it's also the roots of MLS. And, and so they leaned on that very heavily. And so when the new ownership group came in, I mean, they were very uh, adamant that they are not going to change the logo. They're not going to change the – well, they didn't say they were going to change the logo ever, but they said, you know, Columbus is here to stay. We we understand community. Uh, you know, they I think they did say the, the, the crew are not going anywhere. Um, and they built such a relationship with between the Save the Crew movement and the fans and the ownership. I mean, it's been so strong. And it's Jimmy and Dee Haslam who own the Cleveland Browns and, and uh, a man named Dr. Pete Edwards. Those are the three owners. Uh, they make up the ownership group. And Dr. Pete is a, an orthopedic surgeon here, and he actually has been the, the crew physician for 26 years. So his roots go back to the day one with the crew. I mean, he is as big a fan as there is. And he was so instrumental in pulling the Haslams into this. Uh, and they really brought the majority of the money. But so the whole idea of the roots, respect the roots, and then the relationship that was built between the ownership group and the fans, and there just seemed to be this this level of trust that, you know, the, the Save the Crew movement fought against the machine. You know, they fought against the league. They fought against Garber. They fought against Anthony Precourt, the previous owner, and they won, right? So now I think they feel like the new machine, right, has now screwed them over, right? They have betrayed them. And, um, you, you know, they came to the dance and their date went off in a different direction. And so I think there's a sense of betrayal and anger. And um, and it's it's been, you know, you're coming off of the, the saving the team, coming off of the MLS Cup, winning the Cup, coming off of building a new stadium, which is going to open on July 3rd. I mean, it's spectacular. The excitement here and, and also – adding only better players to our team, an already good team now, certainly better. Um, there's nothing but brightness in the future, right? And then this happens. And it just, um, I, I will speak for them, and I, and I can see all sides of this to some degree. But, I mean, I think they felt, the fans felt like it was just a dagger in their heart 
uh, after all they did and after all they'd been through and the amount of trust they had in this ownership group and the, 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 the level of affinity they had back and forth. Uh, I mean, Dee Haslam was on a uh, – she was on a podcast, I think it was this last week or the week before, raving about the fans, raving about the community, raving about the relationship she had with the fans and talking about how the fans call her Sweet D and and just, you know, just loves loves the community. And and it's just – so my heart breaks for everybody involved here. I, I just – you know, it's just uh, – uh, it's just so unfortunate, and I think it was just – in the end, I think you could say it was a say it was a miscalculation was would be an understatement. But now, now we are where we are, and how they get through this together, I think is is anybody's guess. So let's for our fan uh, for our listeners out there who aren't aren't major league soccer fans or, or uh, don't have a, a strong knowledge of of the Columbus Crew. Let's do a let's do a little timeline here, okay? So uh, Pete, you tell me. You tell me where I got this wrong, okay? Yeah. So the Columbus Crew, one of the ten founding members of Major League Soccer in 1994. I think it's fair to say it was a bit of a surprise choice. Uh, their original owners, Lamar Hunt and Clark Hunt. Lamar Hunt, uh, instrumental in making this league happen. I think he owned three teams at one point. Um and Clark Hunt was his son. Uh, I remember when I went to see the crew, there was a huge statue of Lamar Hunt out, outside. Really, without Lamar Hunt, this league doesn't doesn't take off, I don't think. The crew play their first game in 96. Uh, April of 96, they play at Ohio Stadium, home of, of course, of uh, those Ohio State people. <laughs> Whereas we like to say the Ohio State Buckeyes with the I, I might be a Michigan fan, but whatever. Oh, really? You might be. Okay. <laughs> I might be. Um, 1999, the Crew Stadium opens. It's the first uh, soccer-specific stadium uh, in the it, uh, for professional soccer in the States. And uh, Lamar Hunt looks at it as the key to making this whole thing work, that this league needs more soccer stadiums and less football stadiums. Um, they're successful. They win the Supporters' Shield in 2004. They win the MLS Cup in 2008. 2013, after the passing of Lamar Hunt, they're purchased by Anthony Precourt, who, uh, interestingly enough, I, I, I think it's fair to say he's the son of an oil man, just like Lamar Hunt was. I think he's got some... Um, financial things going. Um, and then in October 2017, everything changes. And I remember we even talked about this on the podcast when we were first starting out, that he is announcing that they're going to move the team to Austin, Texas. Well, that, um, you're nearly right. So the announcement that hit was a Grant Wall tweet. Grant Wall is the soccer writer for Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com, um, and very knowledgeable about what's going on. And he tweeted, I think it was, you know, if, if I'm guessing, I think it was like 10.52 p.m. on October 16th, 2017, uh, unless uh, a, a downtown stadium deal can be reached in Columbus soon, 
uh, pre-court is taking the crew to Austin, Texas, or something to that effect. And that was a total shock to crew fans. And so that, that night changed a lot of things. That night, um, they had, they had, did not have any idea that pre-court was planning this or, um, potentially that this could happen. So sorry we, to interrupt you, but yeah. Yeah. And we talked before about how Austin is really kind of an interesting choice because it's a, it, outside of being in very different climates, of course, um, you know, Austin is a very similar city to Columbus. You know, big university, capital of the uh, of the state. Um, you know, you got the same sort of demographics where you got you know young professionals at, at the university and at the at the state house and all that. Uh, easily overshadowed by bigger cities in the state. Um, I think it's fair to say that Austin is not a better climate for soccer in the summer. That's just my opinion, but I don't know. Sitting out in Texas heat for <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. I will say, correct you. Columbus actually is the biggest city in Ohio, but okay. a lot of people don't know that. But that's okay. So I got to, you know, yeah, that's good. Um, but uh, um, so the Austin thing. So one of the, one of the uh, things that gave crew fans some comfort when Precourt bought the team was that. When Clark Hunt, when the Hunt family and Lamar Hunt had passed away by now, when he sold the team in 2013 to Precourt, there was a clause in the contract that, that he had to keep the team in Columbus for 10 years. Okay? So crew fans, you know, in 2017, you're four, four years, five years into this deal. You, you're not thinking there's any chance that that's even on the horizon, right? Um, what crew fans didn't know was that Anthony Precourt had also put this kind of secret clause in the contract for pre-court that if the team proved to be not successful in Columbus, he could move the team to Austin, Texas. So no one knew about that. It's now known as the Austin clause, right? And and uh, nobody knew anything about that. So Austin hadn't even applied for a franchise. San Antonio had paid their franchise fee of $5 million. San Antonio had bought a, a stadium and were getting ready to renovate it. They were ready to, uh, to, to get the next team in, in Texas. And the MLS said, well, between Austin and San Antonio, you're both not getting a team, so it's one or the other. So San Antonio thought they had every correct path to getting a team. They didn't know about the Austin clause either. So, so, uh, you know, this Austin Clause thing became – so what's so what's going on now with, with the commissioner of the league, uh, Don Garber, in pre-court where Garber made this deal that he could just take this team and take it to Austin, a city who – not that they didn't want a team, but they'd never expressed the kind of interest in, you know, paying the franchise fee and 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 putting money together for a stadium. And, and, and so – uh, they were probably on the more positive side of ambivalent than not, but yeah, and you've was, got was, tons of expansion happening in the league at this time, right? Yeah, yeah, the MLS is getting rich with 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 expansion fees, you know, franchise expansion fees. Um, but uh, and the other thing about Austin was when Precourt talked about the the efficacy of of taking the team to Austin, why Austin was an attractive market. To your point earlier, Dave. It's, he, he said, uh, you know, it's, it's a growing city. It's, 
it's a it's a it's an up and coming city. It's a it's a great city for young professionals. Um, you know, it's the state capital. It's a big university. It's you know, it's this, it's that. And he was basically describing Columbus, except for the fact of saying it's just way too hot in Austin, and Columbus is a much better climate. Maybe that's a matter of opinion too. But <laughs> so. Um... That's the point, really, where the save the save the crew movement kicks into gear. Now, there was yep. one other kind of legal part that I I find curious. Um, so, in March of 2018, the Attorney uh, General of Ohio and the City of Columbus filed suit against Precourt and I believe Major League Soccer because there was a state law that they put in which basically said that teams could not move without giving uh, – well, teams that benefited from publicly funded stadiums could not move without giving six months' notice and the opportunity for local ownership to buy it. And this was put on the books basically as a, a result of the Browns picking up and just moving to Baltimore. How much of a factor do you think this was? Because I, it, it was totally untested, fascinating if you're a lawyer, I think. Um, do you think this really had any effect on, on, on any of this story? Yeah, there's no question it did. Um, you know, the law was called the Modell Law, named after former Browns owner Art Modell, who, uh, and I happen to be a huge Cleveland Browns fan, so that ripped my heart out at the time when, he moved the team to Baltimore. Um, but uh, so it was called the Modell Law, and it said exactly what you said, Dave, in terms of, you know, an owner can't do that without six months' notice. So, um, but the, the thing is, this, this law was written and it was on the books, but no one was thinking about it. I mean, nobody really, I mean, even the crew, they didn't know about it. Say the crew team didn't know about it. The, some city leaders didn't know about it. It was a... Uh, it was a state senator, his name is Mike Duffy, uh, out of a, a suburb of Columbus, who remembered this or came across it or something. And he called uh, Mike DeWine, our attorney general, who's now our governor, and he said, hey, there's this uh, about this thing called the Modell Law, and, and maybe, you know, it could help us here and so forth and so on. I don't even know if Governor DeWine knew about it at the time. But when they filed it, what – what happened was there was never a specific date given to the city of, of to, to allow a new ownership group to come to be. So the six month, so, so you got to give the city six months to, to give them a chance to put a new ownership group together. So when the suit was filed, that bought them six months. Well, what that six months did was it bought them another season. So it bought them the 2019 season. Okay. Had they not had that six months and they didn't have a guarantee because they wouldn't have been able to, they wouldn't have been able to move. I mean, they wouldn't have been able to pick up and move and start again. So, so it guaranteed they'd have to stay here. Um, so buying that time gave time for the new ownership group to come together. And, and it happened during that period of time. So without the, the, the lawsuit, you know, it's, it's, it was probably less than 50-50 chance that the crew could have stayed or would have stayed. Do you think that that sort of uh, woke up the the uh, the ownership group or, or like or, sorry, not the ownership group, but the commissioner and and Major League Soccer ownership is a little bit 
funny, but like the the owners as a group, do you think they kind of went, whoa, I'm not sure if we really want to go here and actually test this. Yes, you're so right. So um, you know how rumors go, but I, I had heard that uh, Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS, he was getting calls from NFL owners, NBA owners, MLB owners saying, you got to stop this. You can't, you can't let this Modella thing affect whether or not an owner wants to move a team. You know, the precedent that's been set here now, it's going to make, I mean, the next owner that wants to pick up, you know, pick his team up and, and, and leave and go to another city, um, there, there's, you know, there's now a different precedent set. Now, not every state has a Modell law, but, um, uh, you know, this now sets other wheels in motion, right? So, uh, and who knows if the Modell law, who knows if it would have even held up in court? I mean, it had never been tested. It still really isn't because it ended up being, everything ended up being dropped. Yeah. Right. So. Let's let's go into the the movement itself, um, which for some of us, I mean, like me up here in Canada, it was a hashtag and and uh, and some news stories. But like on the ground level, what what was happening? What was really happening um, to make this hap- to make this whole thing go? So the uh, the night of the Grant Wall tweet, um, when the news hit that the team may leave, of course, just shatter the hearts of crew fans and the next night they were planning a a wake of sorts at a, a local pub and they were just going there to drown their sorrows and commiserate there's a picture in my book of actually a couple guys at the bar just tears screaming down their faces uh that evening but a fellow named morgan hughes who ended up being the spokesperson for the save the crew movement uh went to the bar, but he had a different idea. Um, he said, we're not going to take this lying down. We're going to fight back, and we're going to organize, and we're going to do it in the right way. And so he went around the bar that night and went to every person and said, quit crying, stand up straight, puff your chest out, and we're going to fight this. We're going to come together and fight this. And it was that night that he registered um, on the Twitter account, Save the Crew, right? And the moniker Save the Crew began that evening. And the next day, um, as it got more and more traction online through social media, uh, more people started hopping on saying, what can I do to help? And before you knew it, this, you know, this sense of despair had now turned into anger, but also action that we're going to do everything we can to fight this. And so they mobilized, they, they started meeting. Um, they started, uh, you know, the, the, one of the first things was that Sunday there was a, a big rally at City Hall. Uh, 2,000 people came to the rally and another 2,000 watched live on Periscope. And they had former players. They had city leaders. And they just said, we're not, we're not backing down, right? And the crowd chanted the crew songs and everything. And, and that really set everything in motion. And, that got the attention of other city leaders, and and uh, from that point on, I mean, Columbus was just full of save the crew, and and there were 19 individuals specifically who came together to form the leadership group, but there were hundreds more volunteers that joined the effort to do, you know, we can get into it if you want, all kinds of activities that just kept it alive, kept the story alive, uh, kept the pressure on the league, kept the pressure on the team, uh, kept the pressure to find 
uh, new ownership group, so forth and so on. And um, they just never gave up. Isn't this isn't this a soccer story? Like, I have trouble seeing, you know, well, Mark, you, you sent it out there today. The Oakland A's are going to start start looking around because they're having trouble finding, you know, a deal for their for their new stadium or whatever. I, I can't see this happening in baseball. And I can't see it happening in football. But, you know, in soccer, it, it, it's almost like a, a, a totally different feeling. Like, you know, look at look at the was was that guy involved in the Super League at all in Europe? Because that lasted about what four days, <laughs> and they and the fans there went nuts. And then suddenly everyone was like, "Wait a second, let's back up the bus. We better not do this." Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it was shocking to hear Columbus move because you know, like I said, they you know Columbus was the first major professional team in town. It helped. Maybe even bring in an arena, bring in National Hockey League, make put Columbus on the map. But I guess my concern was, you know, you always heard that this was a great soccer facility. Has how how has the facility changed for better or for worse uh, since it opened 21 years ago? Where the crew play, Columbus Crew. Yeah, w- yeah. The, the, obviously, they're building a new stadium now. It's, but at the time, how w- was it that bad of a stadium? Did it need to be modernized? Tell us a little bit. Uh, well, it was built, you know, 20, what, 26 years ago. Um, oh, no, it wasn't built 26. That's when the crew started. Um, 99, I believe. Correct. 99. So, and Lamar Hunt, we talked about, he was the owner. He really built it with his own money. So it wasn't this super, okay. I mean, not that he didn't have money, but so it was built on a budget, I would say. I I, I don't want to venture to guess that I know the costs. I, I don't. I have a number probably way off. Um, we, it's kind of referred to as an erector set, though. You know, it's it's just uh, it's um, you know a lot of cement and brick and aluminum bench benches. Now there are club seats and there there are loges now and so forth. But you know, it's a, it's a, the site of it is on uh, the fairgrounds property, so it's where the Ohio State Fair is, uh, and and uh, so it's not there's nothing around it really except parking lot. Um, and they actually have to play elsewhere when the fair is in town. <laughs> so, you know, because the Ohio State Fair is a big fair and it runs for three weeks. Um, so they have issues there. And you know, there's no no amount of rev, uh, renovating it would, would really help it at this point. But the other thing is, I mean, everything's going downtown, right? So yeah. everybody wanted to be downtown. Precord wanted to be downtown, the other owner. And when the new owners came on board, they, they were going to build a downtown stadium, period. So, um the opportunity to, to build a new stadium and just make it absolutely, it's going to be state of the art. You know, it's going to be the, the finest stadium. You know, the, all stadiums catch up over time as the next new one comes on, but it's going to be as, as good as it gets. And I know you guys talked about, you know, coming to town and checking out a game later. Um, so, no, the old stadium was, uh, and they're going to keep the, the, the um, city and the county are going to own it and they're going to house other things. There's, you know, there's concerts, there's foot, high school football games, that kind of thing, and so forth that they'll have there. But um, it's solid. I'll give it that. All right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So twenty-eight and a half million in nineteen ninety-nine, and and as we see with a lot of MLS venues and other venues, uh, they want it somewhere where it's walkable distance from fans who live around the area, bars and whatnot. So uh, 
Yeah, ex- exciting time. I was just a little bit shocked they're building a new stadium, but being that I've, I've driven by it a few times and been inside, yeah, it does kind of have a very just basic uh, basic feel to it compared to some of the new ones that they have out there in the MLS, which is a far cry to think that this is where the MLS, MLS is right now, these wonderful soccer-specific stadiums. Uh, so great to hear. But uh, anything about the new stadium that you hear about that you're excited looking forward to to seeing this year? Um, it's just, I mean, it's just, I mean, the fan amenities are just, uh, again, state of the art, uh, as classy as they can be in terms of the the spaces and the, you know, the, the, the clubs and the and the loges and so forth and the seating and the, um, uh, it's just it's just a beautiful stadium and a, and a beautiful setting. Um, we talked about the Nordeck, the you know the the north corner where all the fans, the the the, the supporter groups sit. They're building a whole section that's going to be just for them with you know to hang tifos and already ready to go with that. And so you know they've really tried to make it a place for them too. So it'll be interesting to see what the what that group does with the new stadium when it opens. But Paul, you had your hand up. I don't yeah, well, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, since you guys are getting a brand-new soccer-specific stadium in Columbus, we would be more than happy to take your old soccer-specific stadium here in Boston. <laughs> what? We've been trying for 20 – when you, we said the MLS is 26 years old, we've been trying for 26 years to get a stadium up here for the revolution. You know, sometimes uh, I hope it doesn't take what it took here, which is the threat of the team leaving, so – well, since the craft own everything, so I don't think that'll happen. Uh, you guys are going about it all the wrong. You got to go about it the uh, the Atlanta and Seattle ways. Like, come on, we just got to fill this up. It'll be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. Like that the the his, uh, historic Crew Stadium is what they're calling it now, right? Um, it was really the precursor for a whole lot of very similar things, right? Like, the like Colorado was the same, and, and Real Salt Lake was the same, and Chicago Fire was the same. You know, but Dallas, we just want a we just want a stadium. We just want a stadium to call our own. Wherever it's going to be, it's going to be like Colorado is out by like the the, the nature preserve. <laughs> like there's 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 nothing but but uh, you know wildlife refuge around where where the Colorado Stadium is, and and you know. Chicago Fire was out in, in Bridgeview, um, and, and you, you know it, it's it's interesting that the evolution has sort of changed in that. Well, it's not just going to be about wherever we can put the stadium now. Location, uh, it's it's like a coming of age, right? Like now this right. league has has made it so that location is is important. Yeah, I mean, remember when uh, you guys know stadiums better than anybody? I mean, remember the old Richfield Coliseum and. Northeast Ohio was in the middle of nowhere, and so it could draw yeah. from Cleveland and Akron and Canton. And oh, terrible, was, terrible choice. Yeah, stadiums and arenas used to be out, you know. I mean, some still are, obviously. Um, but the trend certainly is, is moving downtown. So, you know, you're in an entertainment district, and, and the, the, the new crew stadium is down the street from Nationwide Arena where the Columbus Blue Jackets play or hockey team plays. and. Huntington Park, where our AAA uh, Columbus Clippers baseball team plays, it's all on a on a the same line on the same street, um, in, a, in a marvelous entertainment district with, you know, restaurants and bars and retail and mixed use and and uh, you know 
commercial and residential, and it's just it's one of the coolest areas in, in Columbus for sure, um, and uh, rivals probably any any district like that you know, as opposed to you know driving you know the current stadium is about what, just three four miles north of downtown, but you know you're in, you park in a you know parking lot and there's nothing else around and it's a, it's a whole different it's going to be a whole different feel. So and yeah, that's certainly that, where all the trending is going in terms of stadiums, right? So yeah, no, right. Well, was it good for tailgating before a crew game? Yeah, um, some of the fans are concerned because it, it was perfect yeah. for tailgating because it had be all the wide openness. Now there's not the central parking lot area and so forth, and you got parking garages you got to walk from, and so I'm not sure how they're addressing that, but uh, we'll see. I'm sure they'll find their way. They always do. <laughs> so. Uh, so Pete, what was your, what was the impetus to like put this all down and, and write a, and write it in a, in a book that should be more available in Canada? Thank you very, very much, by the way, for, <laughs> for agreeing to send, for agreeing to send me one. <laughs> I've sent a, a lot to, I've sent a few, a few to Canada. I just sent one to Scotland too. Um, wow. So, so, um, I was actually, so what got me started with the book, I was working on a different project that had to do with Columbus and uh, working with a leadership group in Columbus, writing about different um, examples of what we call the Columbus Way, which you read about in the book. The Columbus Way is a moniker we use for how the public, private, uh, civic, and now grassroots sectors can all work together to accomplish great things. And so there were a number of uh, specific stories I was delving deeper into in terms of case histories and so forth. And one of the things we wanted to write more about was the Save the Crew movement. So it's actually before the crew was even saved, it was still thought of as a successful movement just in terms of the traction it got and so forth. Whether, I mean, obviously for them, failure was not, you know, an option. It was either win or nothing, but it still was a marvelous grassroots effort and how the entire city came together. So I started uh, thinking about, you know, I started working on the case study, the case study, and I met Morgan Hughes, who I mentioned before, he's the spokesperson, and I was introduced to him. I didn't know Morgan. Um, I knew of him. I'd seen him on TV because he's just been out there a lot. And you know, we sat down, had a few beers, and and talked, and I interviewed him as I was doing with a lot of people at the time, and interviewed him again, and interviewed him again, and. It was just kind of fun to hang out and drink with Morgan also, so I always was pulled back for that reason too. But um, it, it, the, more we, the more I got to know the story and things I didn't know, even though I live here in Columbus and thought I knew more than most, I realized I didn't know anything. And what these people did was so remarkable. And so one time after several beers, I said to him, um, you've got to write a book about this. And, and he said, uh, Heck, no, he didn't use the word heck. I don't know if you can swear on this program. I'm sure we can, right? Right? I won't, though. Um, fuck thanks. yeah. Okay. <laughs> he said, fuck no. I'd rather drink poison. You write it. And then, um, so the rest, is, then I, the rest is history. I actually had to meet with a leadership group. Who I didn't realize they were essentially a corporation. <laughs> you know, they had, they had board meetings and they were organized and, so I met with a leadership group, and, and uh, you know, Morgan had just barely said, hey, I got this guy coming to our meeting tonight, and, and I think he wants to write a book or something. It was, like, really vague to them. And 
And so I go to this meeting and, you know, I thought it'd be just a bunch of happy, happy drunks, you know, like, eh, eh. no, this was the most serious minded uh, meeting I've ever been to. <laughs> and uh, they were asking me questions like, so you want to write our story? You want to write our book? What makes you think you can write our book? You've never written a book before? You want to write our book? You know, and I'm like, shit, man. I walked away from there thinking, I don't even know if I want to write this book now, you know. Um, but they came back a couple weeks later and said, let's do it. And uh, and we did it. So wrote the book. It's right here, by the way. There we go. There, there's a way to plug it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, you, oh, you can go to a Save the Crew book. I know. I know, like August shows, you'll wrap up with where can I buy it, but savethecrewbook.com and order it, but uh, savethecrewbook.com. But I got to be a marketer, too. You know, I'm trying to sell hey. a different thing. Absolutely. <laughs> no, so that's how, that's how I came to write the book. So, of course, 2020 rolls around. Uh, Austin has got their own expansion team. Uh, it's a It's a absolutely... A crazy year. They're all they're all playing at Disney for a tournament, and and really sort of they were the first thing back. They were the first like they were the first North American thing on television, right? It was I was watching Bundesliga soccer and and where was that Korean baseball? I think yeah. So what 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 has been the the response to to win in the whole thing in, in the strangest year possible. That crazy. Um, well, it was just, first of all, we started thinking how, I mean, within a year of, within, well, second year of the, the new ownership group, we win the cup, right? So, but doing it this year with COVID and everything, and by the way, I wouldn't recommend um, launching a book during COVID either. I launched a book on Labor Day. Uh, where I couldn't even like you know see anybody. Um, did a lot of this stuff. I did. I did a lot of this stuff. Um, hey, so, hey uh, the uh, the pandemic has given us lots of authors on the show. Yeah, over the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's just fitting that you know it, that we win the cup this year. You know, during COVID. I mean, it was the strangest thing watching the. I don't know if you watched the cup, the, the finals, but. Um, it was in Crew Stadium, and it was December, first I think the first Saturday of December, and not a soul in the place, you know. And and under the lights, it was like you know, 28 degrees, and you know, it was, um, and they win the damn cup, right? Three to one, right? And uh, the celebration and everything, and no one's there. And so, you know, it, it was it, it it was sad in the sense that. After all this, the community couldn't have been there with them, and and these these this gang of Save the Crew and all the fans couldn't have been there with with them to celebrate. Uh, but they they gladly took it. But it was surreal. I mean, it would it, it the season itself would have been a a great a great book. Although I'm not writing another one about it. So <laughs> <laughs> little chapter well, we, at the end. We watched uh, we watched in my basement my. My, I took my son. Uh, I actually wrote the review for for uh, the crew in 2016. Uh, I took my son to to Crew Stadium, and he decided that this was going to be his favorite team. So he was he was super excited. He was running around and 
in the basement. And but yeah, the celebration is so bizarre, and and it, it, it's the audio, right? Like you're hearing ten guys jumping up and down and screaming or whatever, but you're yeah. not hearing thirty thousand or twenty five thousand or however many. Like to me, that's that's the the biggest thing that we've lost in the television experience is that you just the audio is just not the same it's not even close my son he, he teased me all the time because every time we're watching a game and there's no one there I, I always have to comment on how weird it is he's like you got to say this every time it's like it just hits me every time it's just how weird this is and you know and you see like old replays of games replayed from years ago and the, and it's like surreal to think that really people shoulder to shoulder and spitting on each other and, you know, hugging each other. And now we can't do that. Hopefully we will be again soon. But, um, yeah, it's it's weird. We don't even let our teams play up here. Like, you go down to Florida. It's safe there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, safe there. <laughs> you go to the home that Beckham built. Actually, no, we're not there. We're in Orlando. Toronto season in Orlando. I think Montreal is in, is playing in Miami. But yeah, it's what it, yeah, strange year. So come in full circle. We're back. We're back to we're back to rebranding. Uh, do you do you see a pattern here? I mean, me personally, I see a pattern. In my opinion, the last four rebrands in Major League Soccer have been garbage. Bad. <laughs> have been bad. Um, you know, the, starting with the Chicago Fire one. Oh, uh, oh that's such an affront. And uh, that, that, which was one of the better, which was one of the better logos. Uh, and then, I mean, Houston Dynamo. I, I don't like the one they have now, but uh, the last one was wasn't. Did they get a lot uh, of negative feedback? The the Dynamo. I don't remember that as bad as yeah, Montreal not as much, one. not as much. And then Montreal, of course, being clubbed to foot. Um, up to foot. Like you, you <laughs> said, you were in. Go ahead. You were into marketing and branding. Like, would this be something you would even, you know, think about putting on your resume? Yes, I did rebrands <laughs> from Major League Soccer. <laughs> I'll ask that in a second, but I got to share that. There's already a meme that it's the Chicago Fire fan saying, talking about how like, nobody can ever top this, right? And the Columbus Crew hold my beer. Hold my beer, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, I think it seems to be, a, I, I don't know, unfortunately it seems to be a trend in MLS. You know, one of the things about the difference between North America and Europe, in North America we, we call our teams by the mascots, by the, you know, the Bears, the Blue Jays, the, you know, the crew, the Buckeyes, whatever it might be, the Browns. Um, we don't generally lead with city as much, right? And maybe that's because many of our major major league cities have more than one team but but even like you know universities it's like you know we, we say let's go bucks not let's go ohio state right and this whole trend and i think was it like 14 out of the franchises now in mls uh, end with an sc or an fc you know they're they're you know it's the city then fc or sc football club or soccer club and it's truly the european model right and Definitely. obviously you know does that mean that they want to take the league more global. Um, you know, they talk about global reach. I mean, 
you know, even, I mean, any MLS team, especially in Columbus, talk about global reach. We want to be a globally recognized. I mean, that's a little bit of a stretch, right? But that seems to be the trend, and um, which creates a certain blandness, blandness to it. And it, it just, it just really, uh, you know, it's. I think it's disturbing for a lot of people. I don't know, you know, in terms of the efficacy of rebranding. I, I mean, usually you have to have pretty good reason to rebrand. And you know, you could say a new ownership group would be a good reason to rebrand. I don't know. Um, you can see why they might want to put their stamp on it, but you you can't you can't you don't want to rebrand and lose all the, the the best of your brand attributes along the way. And the two best brand attributes of the Columbus Crew, one of which is the name Crew, and the other which is just it's the contrast of the black and gold. Yes, and, definitely. And both those things seem to be they're still black and gold, but it's mostly gray and white and black and a little bit of gold. I, it's just, uh, it just seems, um, it seems like a misstep, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I know when Cincinnati went from the USL Championship up into the MLS, they changed their logo, but people liked it. There was no complaints about that. Um, Columbus Crew just had a perfect-looking uh, logo. Some people even liked the original Crew logo with the three. Uh, construction workers on it, but yeah, I, I don't get this. I don't get this change. I don't get it right now. Usually teams make a decision in the off season and say, hey, this is our new logo. Yeah. Uh, they sort of did this very sneak, sneakily. Like, we did stealthily. We didn't know about it. And yeah, the, the shape of the Ohio flag, which if you have to explain that to somebody, you know, it, it just seems like you have some little little shapes and designs in there that are head scratchers. What they have now is brilliant. Yeah. It's not even the exact shape of the flag that the no, triangle no. down at the bottom of the yeah, it's just, Then they have this odd-looking triangle filling up the space. And, and Does that are, mean anything? Have they explained that? or oh, They haven't explained that. Okay, I'm waiting my, for it. My wife looked at it, um, and she was shocked. I was like, how did you get this guy? It's like perfect timing. I'd say, yeah, yeah we're that good. We, we knew this was that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but she wants to know. She she wants to know like why is that C pooping? What's up with that? It's <laughs> got like a goat's beard. <laughs> then they, they try to spin it. You know the the C in the middle. They say, well that that's we're we're leaning into crew. That that stands for crew. So we're doubling down on crew. Doubling down on crew by just having letter C. Which by the way we have Cleveland, Cincinnati, both with C's. I, I mean, what's my point? Right. How much of this do you think is is financial? Like, really? Like, is this and and not just with Columbus, but kind of across the board? Like, is this like a testament to? Wait a second. Maybe maybe this league isn't really doing as well as we thought it was. Um, you know, you look at look at who has who has rebranded Chicago Fire, uh, Houston, Columbus, Montreal. We're not we're not talking about you know the Sounders or or Atlanta United, or you know, even TFC, uh, like teams that are are drawing in big crowds. These are the bottom. This is the bottom third. Like, do you think this is that this is a, a a financial push? I think it is about money. I don't know if it's about money in the sense that because we're struggling and we need to do something different as much as I think they see it as an opportunity to 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 grow the brand, to grow beyond the the. Um, 
you know, attract a broader fan base. Um, and, you know, I, I think in Columbus's case, it's, it's, um, I think, I think the calculation they made was, you know, we know we're going to, we know we're going to piss off some diehards, some old people have been with us from day one. Uh, but for every one of those people we piss off, we're going to gain three new fans. Now, I don't know how that works, but I think that's kind of the rationale I've read. And uh, they think this will have a broader reach, and leading with the city is better for Columbus. Uh, um, but, you know, time will tell. But And then I think it has to do with, again, I think it has to do with the, the more European model and, and potentially trying to be think of their, themselves as more global. You know, you look at the NBA and the NFL, they're trying it too. I mean, they've they've explored with that. Um, that's tough though. So I I don't I don't know how to, I don't know how it works. I really yeah, don't. but like, come on, let's be honest. Major League Soccer trying to build their brand globally is like the Korean Baseball League trying to sell jerseys in the United States. Like, really? We're not talking about we're not talking about Manchester United and Real Madrid and you know. No. We're not talking about those I know, teams. I know. I'm with you. <laughs> I hear you. I don't know. I don't get it. My son didn't like it either. <laughs> Is there any way back? Bring me back. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned before we started the live, um, I thought there was a chance we'd wake up today and they would have pulled it back. Yeah. Um, I thought there was a chance they would have done that yesterday. Uh, cut your losses. We made a mistake. We We're up. sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> we miscalculated. We, you know, there's a better way to do this, and maybe there's a way to, to reach a, a balance here. And, and we um, – but I think they've just doubled and tripled down. They had a, a, a meeting, another meeting yesterday or today, I think yesterday with the supporter group, kind of an emergency meeting where they – I think they tried to extend an olive branch, they meaning the, the team, the front office – um, how do we work through this? And I think, you know, what I read was the, the supporter group said, it's all or nothing. You either scrap the whole thing or you don't come back from this. And they said, well, we're not doing that. And wow. so it ended rather contentiously, I hear. And then today you see that kits have been sent out and, you know, it's just they've, they, they, they were ready to go. Hey, so. Yeah. This story made it on on the PTI rundown today, right? Oh, like, oh. yes, yes, it did. That's got a lot of a lot of national press, Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, uh, ESPN. Uh, they've all covered it. I mean, I, some major publications. And I'm hoping it's prolonged, like the New York Islanders when they rolled out that fisherman, the Gor- the Gordon's fisherman thing, and they were, and then finally they were like, okay. This is a bad idea. Here's the old stuff back. <laughs> like, I hope it's like, because like, I'm a union guy, and and even I, like, I think the I don't like the union uniform. I think they're fine, but I'm just like, like the new one that came out with that the yellow and the bright blue. I'm all about that one. They just keep the snake, but there's yeah. too much going on in that. Yeah, logo. I just don't. I I can't say that. Like I said, it's out there now. It's on the podcast, but I've been kind of like, yeah, your jersey's great. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I come from – like this – I'll say it like this. come from a fire, uh, family of firefighters. So I was real big on the Chicago Fire logo. And then they completely – like, there's I, – I, that offended me. 
and I have not seen the reaction to even that than I have seen on social media with the crew. It's unreal, and I back it because I think it sucks. It sucks. And just from a, a hypothetical, can you imagine if a team like the the if, if the Flyers tried something like that? They almost did it in the nineties. And it, this is this is this is unbelievable. Teal. And I can't they're believe, yeah, they're going to add teal and flames and have a <laughs> word mark. And it's like, no, we're not doing that. And it's I I just I guess what I'm trying to say is I can't fathom. I can't wrap my mind around team or ownership looking at the reaction going, F you, we're doing it anyway. I, I can't okay. bet on that. I don't get it. Well, I, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, summer in Columbus if the fans are going to protest in some form. Uh, it's just going to tell you the dedication they have yeah, for people, a team that they saved. People are getting yeah. vaccines. They're going to be walking down the they're going to be walking the streets again, like yelling stuff. Good, good, good job. Okay. Yeah, and, and, you know, here, here's the thing. The, the crew, that name has been around since 96. The impact, that name predates the MLS uh, 93, I believe. You know, these are names that have some merit. You know, they don't go back as far as, you know, the Man- Manchester United Red Devils. But to soccer in this country, they mean something. Well, and, it is like and, that. The soccer in this country, it is that. It is that. And you're going, like, like Dave was alluding to, without a warning, without a – Trace just it's gone. There's no. Tra- I I'm, this was blowing my mind today. I just for the last couple of days. I, I should <clears throat> should you guys have in Columbus have seen this coming when Ugh. the kit the kits for this year came out white <laughs> and not yellow. I think there, I think there was there was a, a hint that there would be some different branding over time. Um, and maybe a, an evolution of some things, right? Uh, but to this degree, I don't think anybody saw this coming. No. I, I happened to see a, a, a YouTube video of one of the he's a super soccer guy and and did a countdown of the of the the kits for for this year. And dead last was a white Columbus Crew home kit, and it was simply because white it should be yellow. Or goes back to or, what I said. It's the, it's the yellow and black, and and, and, and uh, yeah, yeah it, it's I, I don't know. I yeah, I, I like I said earlier. I feel bad for all parties because I know that the I know the front office and the new ownership group has the right intentions. They mean well. They want the same. They want the same results the fans want, right? Um, but uh, you know, you hope that this. If they don't change anything, you hope that it passes and. Fans are still fans, right? I mean, there are some fans on social media saying, hey, I'm still going to support this team. I'm angry right now, but um, but it's, it's such an emotional group and such an emotionally charged issue that you can't help but think that there hasn't been some permanent damage done. And they're going to have to continue to grow a different, you know, grow a new fan base to, to make up for it. And and how do you though replace your core, core, core supporters though? I mean, that's that's really the that's the issue. And how do you how do you how do you take a chance on damaging your relationship with a group of individuals who are the very reason the team is still here? Right. That doesn't seem like a business move, does it? 
I, I'm just not getting past it. Like, and I understand ownership spent money, and uh, I understand. I get it at a basic level. I don't. I cannot fathom the money they spent, but at a basic level, I get that money and time went into this. But the, it's it's the blatant, well, whatever. <laughs> like to the I, to the fan base about it. I just it's almost unanimous. It's that close. That, that nobody that it's not liked. I just okay. Yeah, it's I was I stayed up uh, late Sunday night and last night just kept going through Twitter, just Instagram, and I just more and more and more and more, and it's just oh my god, it's just you know. <laughs> what? Yeah, I did. I did. I, I tweeted one thing about the book. I said, you know, I did a word count in the book, and I said the word crew is in there 734 times. Just saying. You know, and even that blew up. And so, it's like, <laughs> See, so, so we're splitting this house. I just had Kelly look it up. And she said she liked it. So we're going to not go talk to her. <laughs> she might be the first person. Has she seen the original logo? Has seen seen the Kelly's, Kelly's risking her sainthood here on that one. You've seen the original one, right? You, you think that's the- All right, so, so, Pete, since, wow. uh, right. since this is the Stadium Journey podcast, you wanna, do you want to talk about any of your favorite places that you've seen in your uh, sports fandom? <laughs> Oh, my favorite stadium. We don't have to leave it in um, soccer. We can uh, we can expand. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that I was able to uh, uh, in my in my younger days go to Comiskey Park and Tiger Stadium. Wow! I'm glad I was able to see those stadiums. Uh, awesome. Been to Dodger. Been to been to Old Yankee Stadium and New Yankee Stadium. There's no comparison. No, um, there's not. I haven't been to Fenway. It's three stadiums I want to go to are Fenway, uh, South Bend. Notre Dame and uh, and Lambeau Field, those are three stadiums mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't been to. I've been um, to three. You know, it, it's hard to beat Ohio Stadium if you haven't seen a, a football game in Ohio Stadium. That's that's pretty cool. Been to Michigan, Michigan Michigan Stadium is pretty damn cool. Um, favorites, uh, Camden Yards is tough to beat. Uh, Wrigley, been to Wrigley. Just the history. I'm a I'm a I'm a nostalgic guy, right? So yeah, sounds like you like the old school places. Yeah, I mean, you know, old Yankee Stadium and thinking about, you know, Babe Ruth and Willie Man and, and and Mickey Mantle and so forth, and old Cleveland Stadium, old Municipal Stadium, Jim Brown and Otto Graham and Bob Feller. I just, you know, listen. I know that's not progress, but maybe I'm not a progressive. But you know. I just miss the smells of the cigars and the, the grass and the. I hate artificial turf. My my sons, I'll tell you, I, I say it all the time. I cannot stand artificial turf. I need I need dirt and grass and grass stains and mud and weather. Hate domes. Yeah. So. Well, you've got, answers you've to got your question. You've got some kindred spirits on this show. Trust me. But. Like, the team can progress without having to build, like, a cookie-cutter stadium, you know? Like, you know, as a Phillies fan, I crap on Fenway just because it's the Boston Red Sox. But it's like, I would kill to see a game there because, and it's always rated high, Citizens Bank Park. But to me, it's, bleh, eh, it's fine. Nothing wrong with it, but it's just like, eh, it's great. What I mean, yeah, was it Veterans? Was Veterans Stadium. Yeah, in the okay, so I, I saw a Phillies game there. I've, I've seen a Reds game in Old Riverfront. Yeah. I saw a Cardinals game in their old uh, Bush. Bush. And I saw uh, and I and I was at uh, Three Rivers. 
So, and you're in those three stadiums or four stadiums, and they're all exactly alike. Yeah, well, they're all gone now, Yeah, they're all good. Well, I used to go to the vet with. Thank with, God, with, those are gone. Yeah. Well, I used to go to the vet with my dad, and he grew up in North Philly, and his grandfather used to take him to Connie Mac all the time to see the Phil's games in the late fifties, early you know, early yeah, early sixties before they moved to Jersey. And he's like, this, 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 this we're talking about the vet now. Because that was a hole anyway. But he, he would just tell me, we beat the game and I'd be having a good time. He's like, this is nothing. You've never even read I'm like, why are you telling me that? <laughs> oh my God. Well, no, still like the you know, neighborhood. I mean, like, uh, well. like where the Browns play now, their stadium is first class, state of the art, great sidelines. All Cleveland Municipal Stadium, there wasn't a good seat in that place for football. And I loved it. Now, Baltimore has Baltimore has the distinction of being having my least favorite and favorite venues in the same city, and that's my least favorite is the arena. Baltimore Arena is just oh god, just start over, burn it down and start over. And Camden Yards is my favorite. It's my favorite stadium I've ever been to. I love that place. Now, are, are you going to miss Historic Crew Stadium, or are you feeling a little bittersweet about? I don't really have much of an attachment to that. No attachment. Well, there you go. I mean, it's it's so it's so generic, and it's not going anywhere. It's a, it's a great place to watch. I guess you're game. right. Yes. It's, Let's it's see. That's progress. Good. That's progress. Yeah. There you go. That's progress. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, Pete. Um, I guess before we let you go, do you want to take a few minutes and uh, plug your book and uh, the Save the Crew group and anything else that needs yeah. some promotion? Well, then here it is. It's called Accidental Heroes, the Grassroots Movement that Helped Save the Columbus Crew. I have to change the subhead to help save the Columbus SC now, I guess. Um, and you can get it at you can get it uh, on Amazon or at my website, savethecrewbook.com. It's easy enough to remember. And um, I will say one more thing about the book. 10% of the – there's a great program called the Community Assist Program where – uh, they they raise money and they buy tickets so they can send immigrant and refugee kids to games. Okay. Oh wow. So ten percent of the proceeds of the of the sale of the book goes to the community assist program. So oh, that's a nice kind of plug and benefit. Uh, so well, but mine's uh, in the mail and I'm I I can't wait for it. Well, make sure you let me know when you get it and and what you think. And if you guys, the rest of you guys, Mark and Paul and Dan, you want a copy, let me know. And I'll uh, I'll arrange it. Yeah, so I'll be hitting you up on Twitter. <laughs> All right, Pete, that sounds great to me. Uh, thanks for coming on and uh, been a blast and sharing sharing the story of the crew and the, the save the crew. I wish that we would have thought of that in Pawtucket because we could maybe we could have saved the Par Sox who are now opening tonight in Worcester. <laughs> I do think I do think that the the um, movement has revolutionized how fan bases may go about trying to protect their team from moving. Yeah, yeah stop taking teams. I mean, the blue, it's the blueprint for it. Yeah. I, I, just to tack on there, I, I think it's okay to question the ownership and the and the team. It, 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 like, for real issues, like losing your team, you know, we could debate how good and bad social media can be on every separate occasion. But when it's fans trying to get the word to the teams, hey, we're not cool with this. That's a beautiful thing. 
I think it's a beautiful thing, especially nowadays. Uh, thanks again for coming on, and uh, we look forward to uh, catching the crew this season and beyond now. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right. Hey, that was Pete McGinty, uh, Save the Crew, uh, accident, Accidental Heroes. I'm sorry, I'm screwing up the name of the accidental book already. Accidental Heroes. Accidental Heroes. He held uh, the book up three times, Paul. Accidental Tourists. If, if you could know the day I had today, you wouldn't understand why I can't. Well, I, I was about to say, actually, I've read, I've read a label, I've read something, and I've gone to do it and gone, shit. What was that? Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for Pete for coming. That was, that was a great discussion, and I, I love, love that the, the, the fans were able to save their team. That just makes me feel good inside. So uh, this is the part of the show where we recap our visits over the last couple of weeks. So, gentlemen, has anybody been anywhere since we all last got together? Yes, I went to the grocery store, and I gave it a two out of five. <laughs> I've been holding on that for all year. All right, all pandemic, I've been holding on that, and I got a groan. Okay. Mark. Well, I was supposed guys, to go to – You got uh, muted laughter for me, guys. All right, thank you. Thank I was you, supposed to go you. to the UFL baseball game, but I guess uh, they have restrictions down there, which led to their head coach complaining about it <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, but I did go to a college baseball game. I went to Butler University uh, when I arrived. Uh there was security out there. They took my name down, wanted to know if I was for Butler or for the visiting team, Northern Kentucky, and they let me walk in, watch the game. handful of people there, uh, probably a normal crowd in any year, non-pandemic. Uh, but one thing I do like about going to the college games, uh, the stadiums, you, you just hear all that chitter-chatter from uh, the dugouts, both dugouts, the, the name-calling, the the, the the rallies, try to pick up the guys, you know, all that, hey, batter, batter, come on, he, he can't hit you, he can't hit you, all this slang and lingo, it's kind of fun to hear that, uh, something you just don't really get at, at any level, not even minor league or some of these, these uh, bigger college uh, facilities. So 500-seat uh, stadium, very relaxed, free of charge, no concessions. I don't think they ever saw any concessions there. So it wasn't as if that experience this year, was any different from other experiences. So if you happen to be in the neighborhood, it's worth checking out on a nice day. Other than that, it's probably just for the diehards. But that was my visit. So check out the video this Thursday on my YouTube channel, Ballpark Hunter. Nice. I actually, we actually did our first road trip since January of 2020. We decided, you know what, we're both vaccinated. Uh, things are getting better. Rates are going down here in New England. So we went to one of my favorite cities in the world to go to, and that's Portland, Maine. So what we did is we went up for three days, left on Friday, came back on Sunday. And while we were up there, we actually caught a Maine Nordiques hockey game. Woo! Yeah, the, the North American Hockey League, so Tier 2 Junior Hockey. Uh, the Maine Nordiques play in the Colisee, which is located in Lewiston, Maine, about about half an hour, 45 minutes north of Portland. Uh, it is probably best known as the site of the Muhammad Ali Sonny Liston fight back in 1965. Now, if you take a look at this place, you're like, how in the world was the heavyweight title fight in the 60s fought at this place, this 4,000 seat arena in Lewiston, Maine, this rundown old factory town? Uh, it also produced one of the most iconic pictures, sports pictures of all the time. 
know the picture I'm talking about with Ali standing over and he's got his fist like this and lifting his out cold on the ground and Ali has just hovered over him? That picture was taken at the Lewiston Coliseum. Well, you're not going to ask how. Why was that held there? Um, it was originally supposed to be held, I believe, in Boston. Mm-hmm. But it got moved for some reason. I, I'm sorry I'm not prepared with the backstory. But Well, I'm going to guess because of the time. Well, I'll, I'll take a guess in my own mind. Never mind. Well, in the 60s, yeah, probably had to do with the mm-hmm. racial. Well, we should probably move this. The racial atmosphere in the city at the time, yeah. So, yeah, it ended up being held in Lewiston, Maine, of all places. So, yeah, this little 4,000-seat uh, venue uh, was the last weekend of the regular season for the North American Hockey League. So they just opened the doors. Uh, fans could come in for free. I'd say about 200 people came okay. in. I have no way of knowing if that's their regular crowd or not uh, for North American Hockey League. It could be their regular crowd. They also had a, a fundraiser going on for uh, therapy dogs in the area. So there were also about a dozen dogs wandering the, the place. And that was the highlight for me because I just wanted to pet all the dogs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and they were therapy dogs, so they were all well-behaved. I bet you there were no dachshund therapy dogs. No, they were all kind of like labs. Yeah. 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 Dachshunds can't be therapy dogs in that way. And, and my favorite one was Buster. He was a three-legged old guy. He was, ah. he was awesome. He was so sweet. He came and sat and watched the game with me for a little while. <laughs> so we did that on Friday night. And then uh, Saturday and Sunday, in between eating every piece of seafood that I could find, in Portland, we caught a couple of Sea Dogs games over at Hadlock. Now, we've talked about Hadlock Field here, so I won't really get into it much. But what was weird were the restrictions they had in place. Now, uh, we're all on the same boat at where we encourage everybody to be smart, be safe. And there is being smart. And then there was what I experienced at Hadlock Field this weekend. The, the restrictions they had in place were crazy. Um, they had, I think they could see about 2,800 fans in this stadium, which usually seats about 6,500. And the seats that they had, they had all the seats measured out. So no one could possibly be within six feet of each other unless you're in the same group. They had all the seats zip-tied. They had zip-ties on the bleachers, so you couldn't sit, sit in the wrong spot. Uh, they had, Hadlock Field basically has one entrance in and out. For, for right now, they have four entrances. So you can come into weird, weird areas of the ballpark to go in, and you have to go right from the entrance to the seat. Concession stands are closed. The team store is closed. Any, if you wanted food, drink, wow. merchandise, you had to order it on your phone from your seat, and they would deliver it to you. So the only reason you could get up was to go to the bathroom. Otherwise, you had to stay in your seat. Uh that both, that both makes me comforted and terrifies me. Well, you know what? And that's all well and good. And you had to, which in, our, in the case of overkill, then you also had to have your mask on at all times. So, yeah, I, okay. so, if, yeah. so if I'm socially distanced, I'm outside, and I can't move from my seat, why do I have to have my mask on? Well, be, it's for you. Be, right, but then, yeah, right. game's over. You know what happens. Everybody up, everybody out at the same time. So, so much for all the social distancing you were doing all day. It, it was just, it was a, it was great, great to be back at the ballpark. I had a great time, but it was also strange to have those kind of restrictions. And you know what it taught me? Boy, I love wandering around the ballpark. It was kind of hard yeah. to just sit in my seat. I felt like a kindergartner with ADHD. I had to, yeah, I, I was squirming. I, I think I took three bathroom trips just to get up out of my seat. Just to stretch my legs. So that was my weekend. Um, 
Always love going to Portland. Like I said, one of my favorite cities. So and that that thing with ballparks. Some ballparks they're a little more lax in their restrictions, and others are locked down. So I'm looking at going to the uh, Victory Field this weekend. I've been there several times for other events during the pandemic, so I'm sort of interested how that's going to look like. So it's it funny. I was and I was or, just, yeah, I was discussing some of these uh, precautions with some people. In, uh, in a Facebook ballpark group, and one of the guys just said, "Hey, come on down south. We'll show you what freedom's all about." Yeah. So, like, yeah, Florida. So, you know, if you're going down south, it's going to be a little bit different. If you, if you, if I could, if I could cut the stems from my eyes just to roll them in the back of my head. <laughs> yeah, as Matt says in the chat, air moves. <laughs> I'm really looking. For, listen, I'm really looking forward to seeing how venues are going to be because I got tickets to two Genesis shows in November, December, and they're being sold, selling all those tickets. I think by then, Dan, it's going to be business as usual. Oh, sure, and I think I think we'll be able to for the most part. I do. I really do. Um, I really do think what I was saying at the beginning of all this that the good were over. The good will overpower the the bad. Well, let's hope so. It's going to take a slug, and it has been a goddamn slug through all of this. But I think we'll be okay. And if I, 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 again, on record, if I don't see Ghostbusters in November, we're going to have problems. Wasn't that supposed to be out last year? Last June. Yes. Yes, let me remind you. (laughs) Okay, so that's where we're going to wrap it up for tonight. Uh, Once again, thanks to Pete for joining us. That was a great conversation. I loved it. Uh, Dan, where can our listeners follow you online? Danlaw83. Mark, do you have any uh, stadium journeys planned for the next couple of weeks? And where can our listeners follow you? Yeah, plan on hitting uh, Victory Field here in Indianapolis, um, Fort Wayne. Would love to take a drive down to Louisville to check out some of their ballparks and soccer stadiums. They have a new female, uh, new girls team, women's team, uh, called Racing uh Race racing yeah, racing Louisville NWSL uh, yeah NWSL apparently playing with some great crowds with a nice logo that everybody likes <laughs> <laughs> for now uh, yeah well you they try to change Louisville City's logo the men's team and they they had an uproar they changed it back we'll talk about that another time but yeah check out my travels uh, ballpark hunter on Twitter Instagram and on my YouTube page subscribe like comment. I said what I said, Badash. Dave, where can I listen to follow you online? On Twitter at Profan9. Uh, we got an obstructed views coming out uh, next week, a uh, special one. It's going to be on the Cleveland Indians. Uh, the literary journey continues. Just finished up um, Buffalo, home of the Braves, all about the uh, Buffalo Braves. That was pretty interesting. Uh, we're talking about bad ownership. Now, there was some bad ownership. And I pulled this one, really old, um, surprisingly interesting. It's called Build It and They Will Come. And it's all about how the Tampa Bay Rays came to be. Um, and just fascinating how two cities... Uh, St. Petersburg and Tampa can be like just so against each other. But uh, look for my comments on that on Twitter at Profit. And you can follow my stadium journeys on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube at Puckman RI. Like Mark said, like, comment, 
chair. I like to support, support our work. We enjoy that so much. Um, over the next couple of weeks, I do have a trip planned, and uh, you may or may not be surprised where I'm going. I'm going to Polar Park this weekend, baby, to check out the new home of the Worcester Red Sox, the Woo Sox, and I'm going to go see Smiley Ball and I'm right in his smiley face. Yes, their mascot's name is Smiley Ball. For legal reasons, he's kidding. Yes, yes, I know. For comedy reasons, he's not kidding. That's, that's not a funny <laughs> No, that was right on the money, I think. I've seen it. Ugh. Yes, yes, Steve. Oh, you leave? <laughs> All right, uh, so good night, folks. Out. <laughs> Days out. <laughs> don't forget to check out the website, stadiumjourney.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram at Stadium Journey. And subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like us on Facebook as well. You can find the Stadium Journey podcast at vocnation.com. Or, if you can't remember that, just search VOC Radio. VOC Nation Radio Network on your podcast app. Remember, we simulcast live every other Tuesday night at 8 Eastern at twitch.tv slash standlaw83. Hey, we'll be back in two weeks, May 25th. We will be joined by Zach Fish, the play-by-play announcer for the Hershey Bears. He will be joining us to talk about the just-completed and most interesting American Hockey League season. Kelly will be there, whether she knows it or not. <laughs> so, for Jay Kalashiko, for Mark Viquez, and Dave Cotney, I'm Paul Baker. Cross the desert, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Rock and Roll Union and North Step Productions, in conjunction with Boo Ray Atlantic City, proudly present Jersey Shore Jam 2. May 15th, featuring As We Become Ghost and Rat Rod. It's been a long, cold winter, and now it's time to rock. Also appearing, the Rock and Roll Union house band, Shades of Grey, playing all of your favorites from the 60s to now. All COVID regulations will be in place. Tickets are available at eventsbrite.com and are extremely limited, so get them before they run out. Doors open at 6 and showtime is at 7. Rat Rod, As We Become Ghosts, and Shades of Grey. Jersey Shore Jam 2, May 15th at Blu-ray, 201 South New York Avenue, Atlantic City. Did I mention there's free parking? Don't miss it. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Since 2012, HIAC Talk Radio has been bringing you the best of independent wrestling and wrestling on the worldwide scale with interviews and other segments now featuring the Wrestling Historian with Craig Legon. Every Thursday night at 6 p.m. at VOCNation.com or go to your Android or iPhone and type in VOC Nation Radio Network and subscribe to the greatest wrestling podcast network in the world. Listen to HIAC Wrestling Podcast today. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts 
and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star, Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality, Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum, The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.